my, my friends are the loudest friends. I have a couple responses to the announcements. Um, first, with men not frolicking and dancing. I guarantee if the Huskers would have won yesterday, y'all would have been doing something. You'd be like chest bumping, smacking behind. Girls don't do that. Also, (laughs) the uh, Be About It challenge. I had something happen a couple weeks ago and um, God just put on my mind to buy a couple cups of coffee for some construction workers. And so I went ahead and did that. But in the next week, my two cups of coffee turned into me being blessed with three meals. Two cups of coffee, three meals. I'm like, that's God's economy. I really, that's really cool. So some of you might not have gotten like a immediate payback from God on your acts of kindness, but it gets stored up. It'll be coming. So how many of you did an act of courage this month? This is mine right now. How many of you had an idea of an act of courage, but you didn't do it? Yeah. Yeah. But what we're going to do today is look at Moses and an act of courage that God was calling him to do. So I know Moses is a popular person in the Bible to read and to talk about. And most of you probably are very familiar with his story already. But I'm going to try to sum it up in two minutes. So. Uh, If you'd put slide one up there for me. In the book of Genesis, we are introduced to a man named Abraham. God spoke to him and promised several things. He said, I will give you land, numerous descendants, blessings of protection and success, and blessings to all nations. God's instructions to Abraham were fourfold. Go, be a blessing, walk before me, and be blameless. They were to represent and reveal God to the world. Slide two. Through the book of Genesis, we see God continuing to interact and reveal himself to Abraham and his family, to his son Isaac, his grandson Jacob, and his great-grandson Joseph. Slide three. Now Joseph is the one who gets this story and family from Canaan to Egypt. Joseph was the favorite son of his dad, and his other older brothers hated him for it. So they sold him into slavery, because that's what we do with younger siblings we don't like. (laughs) So he ended up in Egypt as a slave, spent time in prison, and then through God-ordained circumstances, he ends up second in command right under Pharaoh. There is a famine which brings his long-lost family back to Egypt for provisions, and they're eventually reunited, and they all end up moving to Egypt. So if we fast forward 400 years, the people of Israel have now become slaves in Egypt, and they have had it. Moses, who even though he is a descendant of Joseph, has been raised in Pharaoh's household and is a part of that family. As he gets older, he starts to feel the injustice of the Israelites being slaves and one day takes matters into his own hands and kills an Egyptian who was beating an Israelite slave. This did not go well for him. 
The Israelites get mad at him. Pharaoh wants to kill him and he runs off to the land of Midian. He settles there and gets married. This is where we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 3. So if you'll please stand with me, we're going to read part of Exodus 3. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called him to, to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very moment. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you are with us in every moment. I thank you, like Pastor Jason said, that you're closer to us than we can even imagine. I thank you for your presence here this morning during worship and the, the sweet um, presence that we all felt ask that you be with me and and give me the words and your heart for this family in your name i pray amen you can be seated so has anyone had a conversation with a man standing in a burning bush lately no nobody that's odd this is truly an extraordinary moment happening and moses gets distracted with the fact that the bush wasn't burning up Have you ever been in service and can tell there's a really special moment happening, but you get distracted by the person sitting six rows ahead of you and two aisles over who's blowing bubbles with their gum? (laughs) I have happened a couple weeks ago. When we're talking and preaching team about uh, being distracted in service or being distracted in a sweet moment, Pastor Jason (laughs) brought our attention to this video.
she looks so horrified. Her special moment was being distracted. We made a comment that it kind of looked like Pastor Mark and Joni's granddaughter, Hazel, a little bit. (laughs) Anyway, God had to be like, Moses, focus, Moses, I need you to lead my people out of Egypt. I can only imagine Moses' internal dialogue at this moment. You want me to do what? Um, Nope, that'll get me killed. Uh, It's too dangerous and it's impossible. Moses' response was indeed to protest. And he protested and he protested some more and he protested some more. But God in his goodness listened to him and was gracious towards him. Even though Moses had serious doubts about what he was being asked to do, God listened and responded to each one. So Moses' first doubt, Moses begins his protesting with two questions. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh and who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? Put slide four there. Moses asking who am I is a question of identity. He was an Israelite, but he wasn't raised with them. He was raised in the Pharaoh's household as an Egyptian prince, but he wasn't really an Egyptian either. Talk about an identity crisis. Being raised in the household of Pharaoh would have equipped him for what God was asking him to do, though. He would have had extensive training in literature and warfare and languages and diplomacy. He wasn't some country bumpkin who didn't know what to do in a royal court or even how to lead people. Last week, Pastor Jason challenged us to use our skill sets to bring the kingdom of God into the areas of voids in our world. And that's what God was asking Moses to do, too. He had training to do what he was being asked, yet he doubted. And God's response to him was, I will be with you. When God's presence is with you, you can do what he calls you to do. God equips us for what he calls us to do, but he doesn't ask us to do it on our own. When we do do it on our own, it doesn't go well. (laughs) Remember Moses killing the Egyptian for hitting the, the slave? That was Moses operating outside of God's presence. He wasn't ready yet to bring the change God wanted. What he did actually made things worse for himself and he had to literally run for his life. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, that's great, but I don't even know what God has called me to do. Well, I've got a little exercise for you. In the next few weeks, I want you to sit down and write your spiritual autobiography. I know it sounds kind of big, but it's actually pretty easy. I had to do this last semester for school, and it was a very powerful thing in my life. I saw things and connected things that I had never done before. So to do this, you just start at the beginning. Let's pop up slide five there. You're going to write about your family background. What was like in your family growing up? Where you came from? What was happening in your family? Who you were? Then you move on to your childhood and teen years. What was going on? What was life like? How you emerged as a teen? Were you a nerd? Were you a geek? Were you a jock? Challenges of teen versus being challenges of a child. 
Next is the, the educational development. How has education played a part in where you were? Did you enjoy school? Was school hard for you? Did you stop at high school? Did you go to college? Where did you go to college? All those kind of things. Adult life. This is where you're going to start to see a steady progression of God moving in your life. And finally, professional development. Where have you worked? And what kind of career pursuits have you already had? You will start to see themes and patterns even in that. So you write it all out. Don't be ashamed of the ups and downs because God uses those to shape us into the person he can use. So if you've had a lot of downs, God is really shaping you. <laughs> but you will start to see patterns in your life and, God that, and what God has uniquely equipped you to do. If you can't see the patterns, ask a good friend to read it over with you. And maybe you guys can start seeing those patterns together. So whether you know now what God has called you to do, or if it is still to be discovered, you can trust he will be with you just like he promised Moses. So let's jump back into chapter three. We're going to jump in and out of the text a lot this morning. Okay. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Have you ever gotten in a conversation with somebody and they asked you a really tough God question and you're like, oh man, I don't know about that. And so then you go and Google it because that's never going to steer you wrong. (laughs) If you ever have those kind of questions, Pastor Drew loves answering them all. So you can just email him. (laughs) All right. So Moses was doubting that he had the knowledge required to do the task ahead of him. So how is knowledge connected to God's name? You can put slide six up. There you go. In ancient Near East, the name of an individual was believed to be closely connected to the essence of the individual, their nature and their role. Moses is asking to know God's nature. Imagine God, imagine Moses asking What does your name mean? What kind of God are you? Or even which God are you? God's response to Moses was in in verse 14. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He told me, I've been watching closely, and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I've promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. I am who I am, was his response. Heaven help me, but every time I hear I am who I am, I think of Popeye saying, I am what I am. I'm Popeye the sailor man. (laughs) Seriously, every time. (laughs) 
But another way to say I am who I am could be translated as I will be what I will be. It's a strange way of wording it, but remember this is describing his nature. I was sitting in my office thinking about these two phrases and I had like this light bulb moment and I was like, what if we smash the two translations together and it says, I will be who I am. I will be who I am. He can't be anything else but what he is. What it means though is that he is self-sufficient, self-existent, all-encompassing and without limitations. And in this context, he is the God that keeps his promises to his people and will help them fulfill their calling. Not just Moses' calling, but their calling as a nation. Remember in verse 16, it says, the God of your ancestors has appeared to you. God is reminding him that he is the covenant-keeping God of his ancestors. A covenant, simply put, was a legal transaction between two parties that would guarantee promises and obligations that are set between them. It usually sounds like, if you do this, I will do this. So if you remember that first slide where it says God's promises and then what the instructions were, that's covenant right there. God goes on to not only give him past and present understanding of who and what he's going to do, but God gives him a look at the future as well. He tells him the game plan. The elders were going to accept this message. They will all go before Pharaoh and he will refuse to let them go. God will raise his hand against Pharaoh through miracles. Pharaoh will eventually let them go and they will not leave empty handed. So he tells them the plan, but he doesn't tell them the whole plan. He conveniently leaves out the being chased through the desert with no food or water and wandering for 40 years part. (laughs) How many of you have felt like that before? God shows you the plan, but when you start living it out, it never plays out like you thought it would. There's always going to be bumps in the road, but you can trust God. He, He will be the one who keeps his promises and leads you. So far, God's response to Moses' doubts has been two statements. I will be with you, and I am who I am. In essence, he's saying, you can trust me. Moses should be good to go now, right? He's all pumped already. He's like, let's do this. Nope. (laughs) Chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says, he begins protesting again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Aren't those two questions every parent has said before? What if they won't listen to me? Basically, Moses is doubting the influence he has on the Israelites and what they will or won't do. He has to convince them to unite in a massive display of civil disobedience. He hasn't been with them for a long time. And the last time he tried to show them he was on their their side, it did not have an influential impact that he thought it would. He actually lost influence in that moment. God's response to Moses was to give him signs of power to show the Israelites so that they will believe that the God of their ancestors really had appeared to them. 
It was physical evidence of the power of God working through Moses. So the first sign, he was supposed to take the staff that was in his hand and throw it down on the ground and it would turn into a snake. Then God said, go ahead, pick it back up. And I would have been like, (laughs) I don't need a staff anyway. That's good. (laughs) So he picks it back up and it turns back into the staff. The second sign was he was take his hand, stick it in his cloak. And when he pulled it back out, it would be leprous. It would have skin disease on it. Well, then he was supposed to stick it back in his cloak, pull it back out, and it would be healthy again. But if for some reason these two signs didn't work, there was a third sign. And he was supposed to get a cup of water from the Nile River and pour it out, and it would be blood. So that one was gross. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but I, for the life of me, can't remember the last time I saw a staff turn into a snake. Anybody else? But I have seen the power of God being demonstrated through people when they have prayed for someone to be healed and healing has come. Or someone has a word from God for someone and it speaks directly where they are at in life. These are demonstrations of the power of God and they do influence how someone believes. The same power working through Moses can work through us because it's the same God at work. Let's look at Moses' final doubt in verse 10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, O Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. I think many of us can identify with Moses on this one. I know I can. (laughs) My problem is, is that I know what I know, but to get what I know out my mouth is, (laughs) I got an amen over there. (laughs) That is difficult most of the time. And it's very frustrating. So I, I understand what Moses is talking about here. Scholars have different theories about what Moses really can be talking about when he talks about not being good with words. One of them is that maybe he had a speech impediment. Another one was maybe he forgot Egyptian after 40 years. Um, And another one was that the Egyptians so prized the gift of rhetoric, that's being skilled in speech and arguing, that Moses might not have been confident in this ability any longer. The Egyptians would have loved my 13-year-old son. He's very gifted in rhetoric. (laughs) No matter which one of these it was, Moses was doubting again, and this time it was his ability to communicate. Uh, Slide 8. God's response in verse 11 says, Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. Once again, God is redirecting Moses to not look at what he lacks, but to the one who provides. God provides us the abilities and then supercharges them. Our natural abilities plus God Supernatural abilities. 
So I've had a few different roles here on staff. I started out in kids ministry, organizing crafts, and then they became their administrative assistant. And then Pastor Raphael poached me from Mickey and I became his assistant and then the executive assistant. Well, then between executive assistant and my current role as strategic initiatives director, I received a word and that word said that God was going to be making me like Joseph. He was going to take my administrative and organizational abilities and he was going to make them supernatural abilities for what he had planned ahead for me and for this church. It gave me a lot of peace walking into a new role that wasn't really defined, but I knew God had my back. We all have doubts about our abilities. Moses' doubt came in his ability to communicate well. My doubt came in my ability to administrate well. We all doubt some ability that we have. Fine. Moses' final rebuttal. He says, please, Lord, just send anyone else. <laughs> this was Moses' Hail Mary pass. Do you all know what a Hail Mary pass is? It's a, a long forward pass done in desperate times. And uh, it usually doesn't succeed, and it didn't succeed in this part either. But we can see a lot about God's character in his final response to Moses. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what was your brother? What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks well and look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. The Lord became angry with Moses. Yes, God is loving and kind and compassionate. But in this moment, he became angry with Moses. He would not let Moses evade the responsibility but in his loving kindness, patience, and mercy allows Aaron to come alongside Moses and be what Moses feels he cannot be. If you keep reading as the story develops, Aaron's role as Moses' mouthpiece fades away as Moses grows into the calling he received. If you'll please stand with me. And put that last slide up again. <clears throat> With each doubt, Moses was making the mistake of looking at himself to be able to accomplish what he was being asked to do instead of looking to God who made him and would empower him and be with him to do it. Which of these doubts do you currently have? Do you doubt your identity and who God has called you to be and created you to be? Are you doubting your knowledge of who God is? Do you doubt your influence on someone's belief? Do you doubt your ability to do something? It's okay to have doubts because God is greater than those doubts. And he says to you today, just like he did to Moses, I am with you. I am who I am. 
The only way to overcome these doubts is by changing your perspective. You have to shift the focus off of yourself and off of your doubts and onto the Creator. If you're struggling with any of these doubts, bring them to the altar. Find a piece of paper in front of you or something. Write out what your doubts are and come. Bring them here. Jesus said, cast your cares upon me. Take time to shift that focus this morning. Offer those doubts so that the next time God has an act of courage for you to do, you'll be prepared to join him in that. So if you want to come and lay your doubts down here, why don't you do that while we sing this song?